1: the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. You have tuned in to Kingdom Encounter with Glenn Blakeney. Connect with us for powerful, life-changing teaching and guest interviews that will inspire you with hope and equip you with the knowledge and skills needed to fulfill your destiny in the kingdom of God. Now, here is Glenn Blakeney.
0: It is not natural for you to sin. It is not natural for you to be defeated and oppressed and beaten down by the enemy. It is unnatural for you to live that way, for me to live that way. In 1 John 3, 9, he talks about how those who, who are in him, it says that God's divine seed is in us, and he said, and they cannot sin. Now, what that means is it is not natural for them to sin now because God's nature is in them. That's what he's saying. Read that. It's in 1 John 3, 9. And so what he's saying now is that when you do sin as a Christian, as a born-again, spirit-filled follower of Jesus Christ... And as more importantly, we're not just followers or disciples, we're sons, we're children of God. His DNA is in us, and we resemble our Father. And then what ends up happening is now, because it's not, it's not natural for us to do it. You know, the most miserable person in the world is a believer who's not fully surrendered. A believer who's playing with the world, a believer who's messing with sin, a believer that won't fully surrender his life to the Lord. They've come out of Egypt, but they're not in the promised land. They're stuck in the wilderness. And those are the most miserable people in the world. Now, there's a reason for the wilderness for a season, but God doesn't want you to live in the wilderness. He wants you to move into Canaan, so to speak, spiritually, the place where you live experience the fullness of God's power and provision in your life you enter rest and you begin to see all of his blessing his power and provision operating in your life now that's another uh particular um uh, you know teaching that we could go to but we won't go there so let's talk about what the Lord wants to do on the earth and this is not anything new I, I love the fact you know this is this is how simplistic I am in my theology people say So what does God expect of us? What is God saying to his church in this season, prophetically? My answer, very simple, to do what Jesus did. That's it. To do what Jesus did. To be like Jesus and to live like him. That's what it's all about. So when people start telling you all these different things, One of the reference points is just to go into the Gospels and say, did Jesus do this? Right? Did Jesus heal the sick this way? Did Jesus say this about miracles? Or did Jesus say this? And so we have all these humanistic um, philosophies in the church, and people begin to believe things which is not scriptural. So we have to go back and we have to look at what Jesus, first and foremost, modeled for us. Because Jesus did not just come to die for us. That's the most important thing he did was to die on the cross, to be resurrected. But if that's the main or the only reason why he came, it is the main reason, the only reason why he came, then why didn't he just show up, go to the cross, die, and get it over with, and then go to the right hand of the Father and take us out of here? Because, look, I mean, come on now, that's risky investment. You're a risky investment, okay? God entrusting his righteousness, his kingdom to you. How many know that there's a good chance we're going to mess it up, all right? So, so God, he says, I'm going to do something here. I'm going to come and I'm going to show you what it looks like to live as a man who's completely yielded to the Holy Spirit. And so you can... Do what I did, First John 2, 6. If anyone says he abides in him, let him walk even as he walked. Yes. Okay. The works I do, you will do also, and even greater works, John 14, 12. So look at Jesus when he was on the earth. Listen to this. Listen to this scripture. This is the Passion Translation of Luke chapter 6, verse 19. Regardless of what version you read this from, it's, it says the same thing. The entire crowd eagerly tried to come near Jesus, to touch him, to receive healing, because a tangible, supernatural power emanated from him and healed all who came close to him. Now, we think about the story of the woman who had that internal bleeding issue, the issue of blood and how she pressed through the crowd and she reached out and she touched Jesus and she was healed. But guys, that's just one incident. The Bible says that the entire crowd or great multitudes were trying to press through and touch him. And as they did, multitudes, which means hundreds, if not thousands or more, they were touching him and they were all being healed because power was emanating, going out from him. Isn't that something? This is powerful. We know Peter's shadow in Acts chapter 5. It speaks of Peter's shadow in verses 14 through 16. It says, more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So that even, it says, so that even they, were, they, carried, out the, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats. That as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Now, I want to say something. I've just given you two case examples, so to speak. Two case studies of God doing miracles. Firstly jesus himself no one did more miracles than jesus did no one operated at a greater level i'm talking about as an individual than jesus did no one we say remember the verse john 14 12 the works that you do and even greater works first of all that's not written to an individual in the new testament it is plural he's saying to the body of christ You know what? So he's saying that the church can do greater things, but he's not saying necessarily that we are going to do more powerful things than Jesus did. I guess it's possible, but I haven't seen too many people walk on water. I haven't. I mean, I've heard about it, honestly, but I haven't seen it. I mean, I I know that the dead are being raised. I know people who, who've been part of that and, and experienced that and been instrumental in raising the dead, particularly in, in other nations. But I am saying is that there's something that God wants to do, but ultimately we have to look back at Jesus and say, oh my, like look what Jesus did when he was on the earth. But then he says, if anyone says he abides in him, you need to live the way he lives. So let's just look at a couple examples of what the scripture teaches about Jesus. Matthew eight sixteen. that evening they brought to him many who were possessed by demons and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick. He cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick. By the way, one of the reasons why the Greek term um, Lagos does not always mean the, the written word of God is because this verse right here says that he cast out spirits with the word. And guess what? It's not rhema, it's Lagos that's used here. So that's just a little something It's a little bit of error there. It's to say that rhema is the spoken and logos is the written. Now there's another word in Greek is graphe, which means the scripture. So that's not always true. Jesus spoke the logos. And the logos here healed the sick and cast out demons. Can you imagine? Think about that. Like, you know the examples where, you know, the woman, the Syrophoenician woman says, Jesus, my daughter is tormented. And the scripture says that she is severely demonized in the original language. So it uses that adverb to say she didn't just have, you know, a, a demonic problem that was typical, but this woman was severely demonized. This girl was severely demonized. And what did Jesus do? He spoke the word, and when he spoke the word, she was completely healed. She she went back. She found her daughter. She was a Canaanite. She went back and she found her daughter, completely delivered and set free. Jesus never laid hands on her. Jesus didn't do anything. He spoke the word. We know there are several examples of this in the scripture, right? But the Bible tells us that those were not isolated incidents they were not you know that wasn't an anomaly this was normal jesus had multitudes and he was speaking the word and multitudes were being healed now i want you for those of you has anyone ever been to a katherine coleman meeting okay okay no okay i have been to three of her meetings as a kid i was healed in one of her meetings and let me tell you something about Catherine Kuhlman because I'm not I've studied her, but I remember some things. I was very young, but I still remember some things. The thing that stuck with me throughout all the years, even though I was probably seven or eight years old, was the fact that when we walked into the auditorium, before we even got inside the auditorium, you're hit with the anointing. You're hit with the presence. And what happened was People couldn't even walk inside. Some people would get close to the auditorium and they would manifest demons and run away. Okay. I've seen that happen in several places where we've ministered, where people would try to come forward and they couldn't, and the demons in them would push them out the door. That happened on Thursday night with that one man. He went outside before he came forward for ministry. But you see, the enemy is trying to stop us from getting into the presence of god That's right. he start, he he doesn't care how gifted we are he doesn't care how intelligent we are how uh, capable we are of correctly handling or exegeting the scriptures or delivering a sound you know homily in terms of preaching the word He is only afraid of the anointing. Because only the anointing can stop Satan in his tracks. So it wasn't that Jesus obviously intimidated the enemy with his eloquence. It was the power of the anointing in the words that he spoke. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. He cast out the spirits with the Lagos and healed all who were sick. All right, listen to this one. Luke chapter 4, verses 40. It says this: When the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Then verse 41. And demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. You see, think about this. Again, it uses the word multitudes, crowds. We're talking about thousands of people. Jesus is laying his hands on them in this case. And they are all being healed. Wow. So you guys, just think about that. Jesus... Did not see miracles sporadically, occasionally. Miracles were routine, they were certainly extraordinary, but they were still, they were, they were regular in his life and ministry. The, the time where he goes to Nazareth. And the Bible says that he's not able to do any mighty works. The NIV says he was not able to do any miracles there. And the reason why it's translated miracles or mighty works is because it's the Greek term dunamis, which is translated power. But dunamis isn't just ordinary power. It is supernatural a power, and it can be translated divine ability. So Jesus wasn't able to do any supernatural things there in terms of miracles, which to him was he caused him to marvel. The only two times he marveled, he marveled at their unbelief. The other time he marveled at the faith of the centurion. But here, Jesus, that word, by the way, basically means it knocked the wind out of him, is what it means in Greek. And and it said, beyond measure. So it means that it was was like to a place that he marveled beyond measure. And what happens is he says, you know, he he chides them for their lack of faith, their their dishonor for not receiving him. And it says he was not able to do any miracles there, any mighty works there, but he could heal and he did heal a few sick folk. Think about that. So listen to this. So Jesus goes to the most adverse climate, environment, family, okay? And they're like, oh, here's the hometown boy, here's Jesus. Who's he think he is? Man, Jesus got issues. He's jacked up. Jesus, you know, and, and they're like, this kind of thing. And and Jesus cannot do any miracles there, but he's still able to heal. A few sick folk. When the Bible says that he was able to heal a few sick people, the word that is used there basically means kind of mild maladies, maybe back pains, headaches, things like that. Now watch this for a moment, okay? Because for us, if somebody gets healed of a headache or a back pain or, you know, a cold or or a virus, COVID-19 even... When then we're like, oh my gosh, we got revival, man! And that says the Bible says in the Gospels that was a that was a bad day in the ministry of Jesus, a bad day. We're like, oh my gosh, that person got healed. Wow, I haven't seen a healing in thirty five years we got revival no that's not revival think about the very definition of revival if something needs revived if something needs resuscitated okay what does that mean true story we're (laughs) ministering in Orlando in a Caribbean church and these people had never seen the power of God move, and and so we're there ministering, and people start falling out under the power of the Holy Spirit. And this elderly man from Jamaica falls out under the power of the Holy Spirit, and they call nine one one. I'm saying, guys, it's okay. That's the Holy Spirit. They're like, no, no, no. They call nine one one. I'm preaching. I'm laying hands on people. People are falling out. Miracles are happening. And, and the paramedics walk in and get, get him and put him on like a stretcher and they take him out. And I told them, I said, you watch, he'll be walking back in here shortly. And about 10 minutes later, he comes walking in, just everything's fine, you know. But, but the point I'm trying to make is like they had no grid, they had no context for that because they had never seen the power of God. They had been raised on religion, good preaching, even messages about the Holy Spirit. They were people of prayer, but they had never seen the supernatural dunamis miracles of God. Wow. People would line up hours for Catherine Kuhlman crusade. The auditoriums were packed full of people, they had to turn people away all the time. Catherine Kuhlman very rarely laid hands on someone. She did when they would come close, when they would get up on, on the platform after they had been vetted and, you know, by, by her team and they would come forward. Catherine Kuhlman didn't really pray for people. Can I tell you some, some stories about Catherine Kuhlman? I am privy to know some personal stories because I saw the miracles. I also know someone who's an elderly gentleman in his late 80s who was very close friends with Catherine Kuhlman. And we have sat down together. He lives in Arkansas. And we've sat down together, and he shared some of the stories that are not on record. The fact is, Catherine Coleman was a woman who immersed herself in the spirit. She was a person who prayed, who walked before the Lord, and who was very sensitive and very careful to not grieve Holy Spirit. You know, the Bible says that we can... There's four admonitions in the New Testament that have to do with offending the Holy Spirit. Number one, in Ephesians 4, I believe it's verse 31, it says, grieve not the Holy Spirit. And the context there is all about how we do things that Holy Spirit just like I'm not good with that Mm -hmm. that bothers me 1 Thessalonians 5 19 says don't quench the spirit do not quench the spirit another translation says do not put out the spirit's fire Acts chapter 7 verse 51 Stephen is preaching to the Pharisees and he says, you uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. You resist the Holy Spirit. Hebrews ten twenty nine. it says, do not do despite unto the Spirit of grace. Don't do despite unto the Spirit of grace. You see, the key to seeing the supernatural become natural not just something that happens every so often or when Catherine Crick comes to town. But the key to seeing it become supernatural is a people who come together in covenant and say, we want normal New Testament Christianity, which is life and power. Miracles are natural. People are healed and delivered strongholds are broken and we will not settle for anything less and we are covenanting together that we will pray together that we will love one another that we will not get offended and if there is a disagreement we do the biblical thing to work through we we do the right thing when we we pray we seek god we we go to his word we turn from our wicked ways. We turn from our preoccupation with worldly things that are consuming us. The Bible says that those are like the thorns, you know, that come in and they choke out the word. And we say, Lord, we're committed to you. We're committed to your ways. It says in the book of Leviticus, that the fire, and this is called, this is literally the, the law of the burnt offering. You know, there were obviously different sacrifices in the Old Testament. The, the one sacrifice, the only sacrifice that demanded that the entire animal be consumed on the hearth was the burnt offering. The burnt offering was was literally sacrificed with the peace offering and the peace offering says this we know that first of all jesus is the ultimate sacrifice he's the ultimate burnt offering the ultimate peace offering he fulfills all that but we also have a responsibility to present ourselves as living sacrifices romans 12 verse 1 and when Paul says to present your bodies as living sacrifices, he uses the Greek term soma. Soma doesn't just mean your physical body, but it means your entire being, spirit, soul, and body, the entire person. And he's saying, really, many commentators believe that he's, he's saying you need to present yourself in the New Testament as a burnt offering. Complete, entirely, entirely. Set apart, surrendered to God. And when you do that, then and only then is your offering, is your worship acceptable to God. Woo! Come on, guys. We got to get rid of this whole thing that you go to church. And then that God is happy with you just because you go to church. We have an entire generation that doesn't even go to church, guys. How are we going to reach them? 50% of millennials stopped attending church during COVID-19. How are we going to reach them? We think by just showing up on Sunday. No, just because you're showing up doesn't mean you're growing up. Amen. That's right. We need to surrender our lives, our thoughts. Every part of us completely surrendered to God. Lord, my life isn't my own. This ain't about me. This is about you, Jesus. This is about the people that don't know you. This is about what you want to do on the earth. And when we learn, and especially when we come together collectively in covenant, do you know the Bible says, in Psalm 50, it says, Let my people whom I've called gather. Let them gather those who've made a covenant. See, the, why do you think COVID-19, what the enemy is behind COVID-19 mostly? He hates the gathering of the believers. He hates them. Because there is a coming together in covenant. No matter how many times you read the book of Acts, One thing that will not escape your attention is the fact that they were in one accord, that they continued steadfastly, that they were in one place, that they walked in covenant, that it wasn't about them as individuals. It was about the community. For us in our Western nations, and obviously we travel to a lot of nations outside of the West, and we understand the culture and I want you to understand that the biggest hindrance to seeing people in what is known as the Thumb Nations, which is tribal, Hindu, unreligious, Muslim, and Buddhist, the greatest hindrance to seeing them come to Christ is the fact that many of them are like, I can't leave my people. Because if I, if I change my, my religion, then that's one thing, but... I will be rejected by my people. I will be shunned. I will be put out of the community. And to them, that is even worse than, than being an apostate. It's being basically a traitor to their people, to their culture. So that has a high price. So when they get baptized, you know they've thought about it. I remember being in Indonesia in an unreached people group area and going there and we we met with a pastor and oh, amazing what the Lord did, the miracles, the presence and the power of God. I never saw anything like it in my life and I've seen amazing things. And I meet these family who were Hindus and they had been kicked out of their village, they lost their home, they lost their job, they lost everything and there there were four children, I believe, two girls and two boys. The boys were teenagers. And I heard that the family was going to be baptized within the next week or so. And I spoke with the young guys, the teenage boys, and I said to them, how do you guys feel about what you're going through? I mean, you've basically been kicked out of your village. You, You have been rejected by the people in your community. You've lost your business, and how do you feel about that? Now, these guys are like 15, 17 years old, two brothers, and they said it's an honor for us to be persecuted and suffer with Jesus. It's not a big deal. Yeah. And I had to walk away because I just started to lose it as I began to think about Western culture. How dare you take my video game from me? I'm gonna call the police on you. Oh, good Lord. You see, there's a place that God wants us to come to where I believe it's like this, so I was praying, I was seeking the Lord one time about revival so that it wouldn't ebb and flow, wouldn't peak and, you know, and and then decline, drop. It would just be sustained and and it would be at a high level, but it would just be sustained. And, And I've been part of, Lynn and I have been part of some moves of God and seen revival and last for months and even a year at a time, but then there was always something that happened, and it dropped off, and it was like the Holy Spirit checked out and said, I'm out of here. And we began to track that and look at that closely. And what happened? And it was usually gossip, disunity, division, yeah. speaking against leadership, yeah. <clears throat> jealousy, in other words, flesh, carnal, immature stuff. By the way, the older I get, the more intolerant, the more, <laughs> I just call it the way it is, okay? <laughs> because time's too short. So it's all dung, okay? It's, it's worthless when we stand before God can you imagine? You know the Bible says in 1 John? I believe it's 2 verse 27. It says continue in him children. So when he comes, when he appears you may not be ashamed. Can you imagine standing before God and being ashamed? Lord, why did I act the way I did? Why did I carry on the way I did? Why was I so easily offended? Why why was I so insecure? Why is it that I couldn't forgive that person? Why is it that that I wouldn't pray, I wouldn't seek you the way you wanted me to? You see, all of these things hinder the work of the Holy Spirit. Think about this. Man, a human being, can quench the Holy Spirit. We can quench the Holy Spirit. Well, God can do anything. Yeah, and we can even quench him. And yeah, he can clean and purge the church. Ananias and Sapphira is New Testament, not Old Testament, to purify the church. But ultimately, we have to recognize that God has chosen you, 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 me, to be his representatives, to carry his glory, to become one body so we can represent him to this generation. This isn't about us, it's about him. So I'm praying, Lord, what is the secret? And the Lord says to me, I'm driving down the, the freeway, we were in Australia, And I'm driving down the freeway, and I see this truck go by, and it's a panel truck. It says on the side, creating a sustainable environment. I've seen that many times, you know. The Lord just said to me, son, this is what I want to do. In my church is I want to create a sustainable environment where it isn't occasional. It isn't hit and miss. It's an ebb and flow, but it is consistent. It is consistent. This anointing, this presence is consistent. And the hallmark, the thing that will stand us, cause us to stand out to this generation in this next move of God is very simple. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's going to be the love. Listen, the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that God sheds abroad his love. He he pours a love of God in us by the Holy Spirit. That's important. We have to get that because it's his power that makes us loving. Do you understand that? It's that he gives us power to be witnesses unto him. One of the best ways we, we show ourselves and we witness is through our love. So he gives us power to love people, to be compassionate, to be caring, to be long-suffering, all of these things. But ultimately, there has to be the restoration of miracles. There has to be power. There has to be a manifestation of miracles. I'm not saying that we're going to preach this message and boom, it's just going to happen. What I'm saying to us today is there is a commitment, there's a covenant that we must make to the Lord and even to one another to live in a place where we learn how to steward this power and this anointing so that it doesn't ebb and flow. I've seen it happen too many times. So, Create a sustainable environment. Listen, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. The earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That's God's will. The knowledge, the NLT says, an awareness of the glory of the Lord. The enemy wants to fill the earth with darkness, cover the earth with darkness, the people with deep darkness. Listen to the key. The key of Jesus' power, we're going to look at. This story here. I'll just give me five minutes and I'll finish. Jesus often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Luke 5 16. The secret to his power was his communion with his Father. The Bible says, listen to this, that Jesus lived in such a way that he never, ever, ever, not even once, grieved the Holy Spirit. Although he was a son, he learned obedience by the things he suffered. Hebrews 5, verse 8. He learned obedience obedience by the things he suffered now Jesus when he came to the earth Philippians 2 tells us he took on human nature he took on a robe of flesh he became a man he was baptized in the water and the Holy Spirit came upon him and remained upon him John's Gospel says if he was God in the flesh and everything he did was because he was God, then God didn't need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. God doesn't need to be anointed, but yet he said in Luke four eighteen, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he's anointed me. God doesn't need anointed. He did it as a man. And he was God, he remained God, but he put aside his divine attributes and power, and he took on humanit- human flesh, and he learned to walk as a son of man, yielded to his father, pleasing his father. I love John 11, where he stands outside of Lazarus' tomb, and he says, Father, I thank you that you've heard me, and I thank you that you always hear me, but for the sake of these people, I'm praying. In other words, I wouldn't even pray, but it's because of these unbelievers. Lazarus, come forth in a loud voice. He commands. And you see, he says, I thank you that you hear me. I thank you that you always hear me. And I thank you that you've heard me is what he said, past tense. And he says this, listen, Lazarus, come forth. Then earlier in John eight twenty nine, he says, he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone. Not once, not once. Only later on, when he was on the cross and our sin came upon him, the Father turned his back. and said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He died of a broken heart, by the way, because he was cut off from the presence of his Father for the first time. And he says... He who sent me is with me, he's not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. I do always those things that please him. Now, we may not be able to say that. Hello? Anyone say, I've never displeased God? You know where liars go. Read the book of Revelation. But before you get to the book of Revelation, the altar is open for repentance. <laughs> Liars go to the lake of fire, but liars go to the altar first. There's grace. I'm just kidding. The point is we recognize that we grieved. We have grieved God. We, we continue to grieve God. But is that like, okay, oh, it's all right. Look, guys, even when we do things that grieve the Holy Spirit, there has to be a deep sense of, Of contrition over that there has to be a sense in which we say oh God this is not pleasing to you this is not good when I act this way and when I say these things and and when I think this way God this is not acceptable to you and the Bible says that godly sorrow works repentance and leads to salvation. Godly sorrow. It has no regret. So there's a place where we look to Jesus and we see that Jesus, you know, the Gospel of Luke emphasizes three things about Jesus. I love the Gospel of Luke. Number one, his humanity. Son of man. Number two, prayer. Luke emphasizes prayer more than any other gospel writer. And then lastly, of course, Holy Spirit. He emphasizes Holy Spirit, continues to do that in the book of Acts. He wrote the book of Acts as well, the sequel. And so he's saying this. There's a place where, as humans, we can go to God in prayer, not just praying and asking Him to do things because... Because that's not what prayer is all about. Prayer is meant to be communion. It's meant to be relationship with him. Where where we desire his presence. The person and presence of God more than his promises and provision. And we go to him just for the joy of knowing him. Jesus, Father, I delight to do your will, Father. You see, there's this place where we live with the sensitivity that I am the Father's and I must do what pleases Him and I must live in a way that honors Him. I want to do this because of who He is. And and out of that place of surrender, that place of communion, we connect With the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And guess what happens? We change in his presence. You're not going to change through counseling. You might think a little differently. But you're not going to have a new heart. You're not going to be completely set free. Without the power and presence of God. Because Holy Spirit gives us a new heart. He doesn't just change our mind. So we're called to live in this place, the abiding presence. Revival is sustainable. It's normal. Let me close with this. Jesus and Peter, James, and John go to the top of the mountain. Jesus is going to go to the cross soon. So he goes up there and he's praying Luke's account says he's praying. And while he's praying, he's transfigured. You know the story. And Holy Spirit is on him. He's shining in the brilliance of the glory of God. Even his clothes become white, exceedingly white, whiter than any launderer could make them, like anyone could bleach them. And, of course, what ends up happening is praying. Peter's like, wow, this is cool. Like, let's build a tabernacle, right? You know, we know Moses and Elijah come and talk to him. But while they're up there in the glory of God, there's, there's something going on down in the valley at the base of the mountain. And there's a, there's a man, a father, who has a son. And his son is severely demonized. He has seizures And the demons grab a hold of him and throw him into the fire and throw him into the water and and try to destroy his life repeatedly. And while Jesus is with the three, the remaining nine are below. And he takes his son to those disciples and says, please, can you do something? Help my son. And the disciples do what they know to do, and they minister to him, but nothing takes place. He's not set free. Nothing changes. He's not healed. He's not delivered. Remember, these same disciples had already healed the sick, and they had already cast out demons. But this time, they are up against a more formidable challenge. And when they come down the hill, the father approaches Jesus. I brought him to your disciples, but they weren't able to help. So Jesus responds and he says, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the child was cured from that very hour later on the disciples come to jesus privately and say why could we not cast it out the master's response is because of your unbelief for assuredly i say to you if you have faith as a mustard seed you will say to this mountain move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Verse 21 in the New King James, however, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, here's here's what I want to share with you. This is the secret to a life of miracles right here. Jesus said the secret to seeing limitless power in operating in a sustained environment of the supernatural is mustard seed faith. But he did not say, contrary to what the NIV says, the New Living, he did not say, if you have faith, the size of a mustard seed. He didn't say that. He wasn't talking about the size of our faith. One translation says, even as small as a mustard seed. That is a paraphrase. The original language says, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will be able to say, move from here to there, it will move, nothing will be impossible. The, The word, that is translated as is hos in greek it means like unto the same as even as or in the same manner as in other words it's not about the quantity it's about the quality listen to this matthew thirteen thirty-one. he put another parable before them saying the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed now he's talking about the kingdom of heaven "...is like a grain of mustard seed, that a man took, sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so the birds of the air come and make their nest in them." Now listen to Matthew 17, verse 20 in the Amplified Bible Classic Edition. Jesus' response, as translated by the Lachman Foundation scholars, (laughs) for truly, 1995 edition, for truly I say to you, if you have faith, then in brackets, and parentheses, that is living and growing like a grain of mustard seed. If you have faith, that is living and growing. This is a classic edition of the Amplified. Then you will be able to say to that mountain, move from here to yonder place. It will move. Nothing will be impossible to you. All right, let's stop right there. The point is this, Smith Wigglesworth, by the way, you know that Smith Wigglesworth couldn't read until he got saved, right? Then his wife taught him how to read, and the only thing he read was the Bible, he didn't want to read anything else. But Smith Wigglesworth spoke often about what is called ever-increasing faith. He preached on it often, ever-increasing faith. In other words, if we're going to see miracles, our faith has to keep going. Up. You know the Bible talks about in, in, in Romans one seventeen that we go from faith to faith. We know that David went from one level of faith to the next: killed a bear, killed a lion, then a giant. Okay, faith is something that we grow in, but it's living. The Bible says it's the same spirit of faith. Faith is living out of a place of communion with God. Then we see our faith expand and we grow we go from one level to the next level to the next level we continue to grow and it has to do with a living vibrant faith that is increasing now I posted something on Facebook and I want to just share it because it summarizes so aptly what I'm trying to teach today albeit not necessarily the most accurately and This is the statement. Are you ready? If we don't change, we won't grow. If we don't grow, we're not really living because all living things change and grow. So how are you different today? How are you more mature? How are you closer to God? How has your faith increased today than it was one year ago? There's grace if you say it hasn't. In fact, maybe maybe I've lost faith. Many people have. There's grace, there's forgiveness. But God wants to move you from one level of glory to the next. Faith to faith, strength to strength. That's what he wants. I've been challenged. We go through things, we struggle. It's tough, isn't it? Life can be discouraging. Life can be hard god never changes he didn't have to change He's perfect you have to change you're not perfect me too we must change we must grow faith to faith faith as a small little mustard seed the mediterranean mustard seed so small like a speck a pepper and It grows to become a tree. It's bigger than the herbs. It's a tree. It becomes a tree. I've seen the mustard seed in the Middle East. Probably some of you have too. You see, it grows. It grows. Are you growing? Are you changing? Are you becoming more like Jesus? It requires intentionality. It requires a life of consecration, a life of radical obedience, a life of denying your flesh, your desires, and taking up your cross and following him. And we live in a comfortable age where we feel we can serve Jesus. We've preached for decades in America that Christianity is all about making us comfortable. That's a lie. It's not about making us comfortable. Taking up your cross isn't very comfortable it's not about making us comfortable in life but it's about conforming us to his life conformed to his life conformed to Christ likeness imagine if the world began to see his glory his power manifesting and operating through each and every one of us even if it started with one church the center of hope in Venice that really said hey we are going after God, we're going after the fullness, and we're not going to allow the enemy to throw a wet blanket on what is happening and what God is doing and this fire that's been kindled. We're not going to allow the enemy to do this, and if I do something to humble somebody, uh, uh, to, to, uh, you know, grieve the Holy Spirit, and I speak against someone, if I say something against my leaders, You know what you should do? We need to hold one another accountable. You know when someone speaks against your leadership, what you should do as a mature Christian, especially if you're serving in the house? Nobody asked me to share this. This is just part of my apostolic calling, is you say, you know what, brother? Like, that's just like grieving the Holy Spirit, what you're doing now. If you have a problem with somebody, not just leaders, but anyone, especially a brother or sister, just go to them privately Talk to them. Don't tell other people. I mean, you know what happens? You go and you tell somebody, this person did this, this, and this. And then you put these seeds in their mind about that person. And now they're all of a sudden thinking negatively. I've had bad thoughts about a person. And, and then, then later on, man, you make things right and you're good with that person. And they're like still having dealing with what you told them <laughs> about this person. Come on. Guys, we, we can do better than this. We can do better than this. They will know you are my disciples for your love for one another. We can't get along in the family. How are we gonna get along out there in the world? How are we gonna if we can't show Jesus to one another in the church, in the family, how are we gonna manifest him to a wicked and adulterous generation? With what you told them about this person. Come on. Guys, we we can do better than this. We can do better than this. They will know you are my disciples for your love for one another. We can't get along in the family. How are we gonna get along out there in the world? How are we gonna, if we can't show Jesus to one another in the church, in the family, how are we gonna manifest him to a wicked and adulterous generation?
1: Thanks for tuning in to Kingdom Encounter with Glenn Blakeney. To learn more about us, including how to connect to our kingdom community, please visit our website, Awakenations.org. Again, that website address is Awakenations.org. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts so other listeners like you can receive powerful, life-changing teaching. We appreciate that effort, and we hope you'll join us again in the next episode of Kingdom Encounter.